Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Hi, everyone. Jungle Jim Jerome uh, here to bring you another episode (laughs) of Inside Curling uh, with our two World Curling Hall of Famers, Kevin Martin and Warren Hanson. I don't know, boys, is there anything worse, Kevin, Warren, than waking up in the morning, going downstairs for your morning coffee and not having any coffee there? I'm a little grumpy, boys. I'm a little grumpy. (laughs) Oh, my God. Someone goes, well, just have some tea. No, you don't understand. Go get me some coffee. <laughs> I'm doing the show in my pajama pants, okay? Uh, for the first time, I was away all week. I, I got uh, back yesterday, uh, but but I have filled something on my bucket list. I had three seats across on the airplane. Yes, all by myself. Tick. Were you lonely? No, God, no, I wasn't lonely. I, I got a bit of a complex, like I thought. Maybe people saw that and they went, no, we don't want to sit there, okay, with that mule. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. Cup of tea in hand, pajama pants on. Off we go, uh, fellas. We'd like to fully (laughs) recognize and thank all our sponsors, Sports Interaction. You want to lay a bet on curling, man. Uh, That's what you do. And a lot of people are doing it and having a riot. They bring you what's happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost is the sponsor of Mailbag. Coyote Tractor brings you hot rock topics. And Goldline brings you in the house, which is our guest spot. And we have one today. Uh, Reed Carruthers is going to join us later on in the show. Here's what's on the show. Provincial territorial playdowns were completed this past weekend. We're going to review what took place uh, with the Briar playdowns, see what happened in New Brunswick, Manitoba, and Alberta. The national championships also concluded in Scotland and the U.S. Uh, We're going to review who will be representing those nations at the men's and women's worlds. Also, An important event for the growth and development of curling in Canada, the men's and women's U18 championships wrapped up in Timmins. Uh, So we're going to figure all that out and who the winners were. Hot Rock Topics, the Scotty starts on Friday in Kamloops. We'll take a look at how the teams have been seeded and we'll make our predictions as we usually do. I'm doing better than I thought. Also, we're going to talk about the playoff system being used and the structure of the event overall as it has again gone through some changes. Always a bunch more teams. Uh, when I did it, Warren, there was 11 or something when I did the Briar. 12 only back in the day. As I said, uh, mailbag, we're going to try and get to it. One for sure from Ross, who wants to know what happens in a curling game when the game isn't finished and your clock runs out. Good one. And, of course, in the house uh, with Reed Carruthers. Just lost a last rock final in the Manitoba Provincial Final, but he did it from start to finish with only three people What's happening on the curling world is brought to you by Sports Interaction. You want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction. Get in on the action. Make a play at Sports Interaction 19 plus and Ontario only. And please play responsibly. Okay, Warren, provincial territorial playdowns uh, continue this past weekend. Let's take a look 
at uh, the Briar Playdowns uh, that happened. These might be the final teams, New Brunswick, Manitoba, and Alberta. What do you got, Warren? Yes, Jim. So we did have the last three Playdowns. We'll start with New Brunswick. And the person who's going to represent New Brunswick in the Briars, Scott Jones, who has been to five Briars previously. He's 51 years old. And the person throwing last rocks in that team is Jerry Malayas, and uh, he's 34. So this is an older team. They're coming back to the Briar again. So that's New Brunswick. Manitoba, a real interesting final there between two of the top teams in, in Canada, Matt Dunstan and Reed Carruthers. It uh, was an interesting finish. There was a burn stone in the last end to make things even more exciting. But in the end, Dunstone came out as the winner. Uh, Dunstone being from Manitoba originally, winning World Juniors out of Manitoba. He then played at Saskatchewan a number of years. So it's not his first Briar win uh, from province, but it is his first win from Manitoba, his native province. So congratulations to Matt. And of course, we'll talk about Reed Carthers and where he goes from there. And Alberta also has expected Kevin Cooey. Plays against Brendan Botcher in the final. Cooey comes up with a fabulous game and the win for his 11th Purple Heart. And it's interesting to note that since 2015, Kevin Cooey has won Alberta every year except 2018. And his 11th Purple Heart, he didn't win the province until 2010. Interesting, that was the year Kevin went to the Olympics. And so it gave Kevin an opening to win the province, and he did, and he's never looked back since then. So it's all your fault, Martin. (laughs) (laughs) On the wild card side of things, we now have to take a look at uh, what's going to happen there. So Dunstan was ranked number one, so he won the province he's in. Butcher was ranked number two. Um, He didn't win, but he's going to be in the Briar because of his ranking. Gushu was in because of Team Canada. Kui is already in. Uh, and it, as is Crothers, but it left the opening for a young team out of Alberta. Kirsten Sturmey will now become the third wildcard team. So interesting in both the Briar and Scotties. In the Briar, we have three teams from Alberta, and in the Scotties, we have four from Manitoba. So that, again, is an interesting uh, happening for sure. Uh, okay, Warren, listen. I know you love that idea that the best teams are in and uh, they're not they're not restricted to borders. Uh, but this may be the dumbest thing ever, Warren, that that two teams are in the final, okay, who are already in the briar. I don't get it. My solution is they don't get to play in the provincials because they're already in, and you get a third team. It's dumb. It's dumb. I'm watching. I'm, you know, I'm. I'm <laughs> yes, there's uh, more to this than meets the eye, Jim. As well, <laughs> I don't know if we want to get into it, but it's the provinces involved want those top teams playing in their province to market yeah. the finals. And that's one of the reasons why they've done it the way they are. But I think, I believe that you'll see a move on this in the next year and that they will start to name those teams before the provincial start, probably the 1st of January, I would think. Maybe not. We'll see. You know what I'm saying, Kev? Are you on side with me on this thing? Well, it makes it, I guess, less drama for sure because both teams are in already. Mm-hmm. Um, does it matter to win the Purple Heart? It does. It does matter to the teams. It does. But the loss isn't as hard if you get to go right. anyway, yeah. it, back in the day, forever it was it was always such it was such a big game. The winner got to go, the loser didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like right. it, was a, it was a yes or a no. You know, you played the provincial to get to the next step. It, you know, we, it used to be that you had zone playdowns to get to the next step, regional playdowns to get to the provincials, provincials to the Canadians, Canadians to the worlds. That was the step by step, and you had to win at each one. It wasn't kind of a given, so. It, it, it's it's a little bit murky right now, but I think to Warren's point, it'll it'll get fixed up in the you know in the next year or so to uh, 
to just not have that happen? Uh, the real deal are t- uh, teams from Scotland and the U.S., and they have been for a long time now. Their finals was wrapped up this weekend, and who's going to represent those countries, Kev, at the world? Yeah, well, I'm not going to shock anybody, I'm afraid, <laughs> with what I'm going to tell you. Uh, in the U.S. women's, uh, Tabitha Peterson with uh, Corey Thiessen and uh, Becca Hamilton and Tara uh, Peterson, Tabitha's sister, they won the U.S. Women's. They beat uh, Delaney Strauss in the final. So not a big shock there. Um, Tabitha's just a fantastic curler. On the men's side, John Schuster ended up winning on the men's side, uh, beating Daniel Casper in the final, um, which is, a, I, I think, a little bit of a surprise, Daniel Casper being a very young team, mm-hmm. a player that Warren knows about, Luke Violette, actually throwing third for Daniel, Ben Richardson, and Chase Sinnott, and they're out of uh, the Chaska Club, who we, we talk a lot about. But a good young team. Uh, Corey Dropkin actually lost the semi. That's who you would have expected to play Schuster in the final, mm-hmm. but the young team beat them. So uh, good for them. And so that's a really good young team we're going to have to keep an eye on in the U.S. But John Schuster uh, won and is going to the world, so congratulations to them. If we go across the ocean over to Scotland, uh, on the men's side, uh, Bruce Mowat, uh, beat James Craig. Now, that's a young team, an up-and-coming team to really watch around the world in the future is James Craig. But Bruce Mowat won. Rebecca Morrison wins again, beating Leslie Young on the women's side. So, Jim, pretty much as expected, I would say, in the U.S. and Scotland. Corey Dropkin, the only surprise where I thought they would really give Schuster a run this year, but end up losing the semi. Uh, okay, there you go. Household names. Yes, uh, that'll be heading to the worlds uh, as we start all that stuff, all the playdowns for it. But nice to see Jimmy. Nice to see some young teams getting close, and and so they'll they'll be ready to take over. Yep, I agree. I agree. If you're a young team wanting to get in the game, if you keep seeing these these big gunners all the time, it must be deflating. I'm going to ask Reed about that. Speaking of growing, the Canadian U18 Championships were completed this past weekend in Timmins, just north of my hometown, Sudbury. Warren, what happened? Who wins? Well, let me first say that this is a fabulous event because this is one of the key items, I think, for the growth of curling in this country for, for young players. And a gentleman in Calgary by the name of Bill Hans a few years ago, around about 2014, I believe, was the guy who really made all this possible because of a huge, huge financial contribution. So a great nod should uh, of the hat to Bill Hans for originally getting this whole thing going. But it was completed in Timmins. And interesting enough, this has 42 teams in it because some of the larger provinces are allowed two entries for both men and women. So it's got a lot of kids uh, on the ice for the, for the week of the event. Anyway, the interesting thing in the end was both the winners were from Alberta. On the women's side, it was the second consecutive title for Myla Plett, Allison Nedowin, Chloe Federuk. And the lead, Ali Iskew, was new on this team, but the other ones were repeats. And you may notice the name Nedowin. That is mm-hmm. the daughter of Dave and Heather Nedowin, who was the third oh in that team. Oh, my God, we're getting for old. The second oh, no. consecutive year. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, she's, and she's really oh, good. Man, yeah, of course. But. <laughs> and, of course, on the men's side, another Alberta team, Skip Zach Davies, third, Benjamin Christ, second, Taryn Olgut, and lead, Lucas Sakak. Uh, we're okay about feeling old, Kev. We've got Warren on the show. We'll be fine. That's what's happening around the uh, curling world. Thanks a lot to Sports Interaction. Go lay a bet, folks, uh, on on curling. Hot Rock Topics coming up right now, brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, and ZTRs to do it. We dig dirt. The Scotties starts this Friday in Kamloops, and we're going to make our selections, of course. Uh, There's a couple of pools. We'll pick a few teams from each. 
and try and figure out who's going to qualify for the championship round. But Warren, the structure of this event this year is a little different. Uh, Kevin, we'll get your thoughts on. So there's been a different approach used, uh, I guess, probably since about 2017 with the playoff for both the Briar and Scotties. But this year, they've seemed to settle into another one that maybe isn't bad. But uh, each pool, A and B, are going to qualify three teams. In the first round, those teams in positions two and three are actually going to cross over. So if you finish two and three in pool A, you're now going to flip over to pool B. And two is going to play three, and the winner is going to play one. The two winners of that game on A and B side are going to go into the page one versus two game, and the two losers are going to go into the page three versus four. So it's kind of another round of play in there. It gives uh, the people coming up in the third position a little a little shot at it, whereas uh, with a normal page playoff, they wouldn't have it. So we'll see how it goes. Kevin, what are your thoughts on it all? Yeah, I think it would have worked out pretty well just to have the page after the round robin and rather than six teams. But um, Warren, wasn't there something to do with the agreement with the amount of games that needed to occur or draws? Yeah, I, I actually I asked Curling Canada the question as to why this was in there, and the indication to me was that uh, it was a broadcast commitment of uh, 24 uh, draws versus 22, which has been the standard uh, for many, many years. So that's what I was told is why they've done this. Yeah, I think that's important for everybody to know the Warren. Like, you know, we're wondering about playoffs. It's just not always just Curling Canada going, well, we need to make six teams in there for some reason. But sometimes there's contracts yep. that no, you have to have this many draws and it's just the way it is. And, and that's fine. So uh, I, I don't mind it. You know, I think uh, the, the, at the end, in the end, the cream will rise to the top. Uh, those are big uh, two, three games when you get to the playoffs, yes. you know, the, those are, those are massive, massive games. So that'll be very, very interesting. I do like the field too, coming into this. Uh, it's, it's a very strong field on, in both pools. It's going to be very tough to pick yeah. the teams, Jimmy. Uh, it might be tough for Jim. He'll just go eeny, meeny, miny, mo. <laughs> well, especially if we make Jim pick first. <laughs> oh, really, boys? Yeah, is this a pick on Jim Day? Is it okay? We'll do that. Uh, there's no perfect system, though, you guys, right? I know we we, we dissect this a lot about all, all sorts of stuff. So Yeah, I think this is pretty good. Jim? How do, you, how do yeah. you do it, right? How do you do it? So, Okay, uh, Warren, pool A, pool B. I think I understood what you said. So why don't you go first, Warren? Oh, oh you're going to put it on me, are you, Jim? Sure. I'm all set to go. So I think in Pool A, the first two picks are pretty easy. Einerson and Laws, I think you can't uh, not assume that they're going to be into the final rung. But then it gets difficult. The group behind them, I think, are a lot pretty even. So there's probably any one of four or five teams you could probably see, yeah, they, they got a good chance. But what I'm going to stick with is the young team that won Alberta. Having watched them play that Alberta playoff, in particular that last rock, that Kaylee Skirlick made to win the provincial, I'm going to go with Alberta as my third pick in Pool A. In Pool B, again, I think it's pretty clear who should be in there. Um, the flurry Holman combination out of Ontario, probably at the top of the heap, and then Jennifer Jones from Manitoba. Then again, like in Pool A, it gets very difficult. You know, you could almost uh, pick probably about four teams there. But I'm thinking the veteran Krista McCarville, who has been very close the last couple of Scotties, is going to come through, and she's going to be the third team in Pool B out of Northern Ontario. Those are my picks. All right. What were your first two in Pool B? Holman Jones. Holman Jones. Oh, boy. Way to go out on a limb. Crazy, <laughs> crazy picks. <laughs> Kevin? The top four teams, you know, you have to go Anderson, Laws, Holman, Jones. I just, I just can't see anything else 
really happening uh, with uh, Caitlin picking up uh, a Laura Walker, such such a good player coming in to replace uh, Selena. So uh, with that, I, I think that boy, oh boy, wait, you picked four teams there. Well, yeah, two out of A, two out of B, and now we got to pick those third place ones. That's tough. Nova Scotia Black, I, you know, I, I like that team a lot, and Grandy out of BC. I've got those both circled as possible third places. Um, I kind of, I guess I'll lean towards Grandy. They've had a, such a good year, but but I, I, I really like Black as well. But I'll go with Grandy. And uh, Scheidegger and McCarville, same thing. I've got them both circled. Uh, it's just a complete toss-up. Uh, uh, I, you know, I'll, probably, I'll probably go with Scheidegger, but, but it could easily be McCarville. It just, those are really good teams. But it's kind of like Warren was saying, there's different, different kind of layers here. You've got the Anderson, Laws, Holman, Jones. They're, they're, they're top shelf. And then just the shelf just underneath, they're good too. And that's your next layer. And I think that's where Grandy fits and Black and and Skirlick and Silver Nagel, Scheidegger, McCarville, so on. You know, it's just a little bit not, they don't play quite as much at the upper level. I just kind of what I feel. There's three tiers, isn't there? That's what I kind of think too, Warren. Yeah. Okay, time for my picks. Calm down, everybody. Okay, just, just wait. Okay, relax, relax. Pool A. Okay, Megan Walter, Galoosh, and Holman. Galusha. Okay, Galusha. All right, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. That's Kevin and uh, and Jamie Cooey's sister. Jim. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Um, I'm going with Einerson and Laws. So who's my third in Pool A? Okay, I'm going to read the names. I'm going to read the names. Grandy, Black, Skirlick, Burt, Suzanne Burt, Silvernagel out of Saskatchewan, St. George's, and McPhail. Those are your teams to choose from. Black. All right, there you go. I don't hesitate a second when I make my picks. They just flow out of my mouth like lava. So enjoy. enjoy. Go with me. Go with me. Scotty's next Friday. Mailbag is brought to you by Nestle Boost. Complete nutrition to fuel your day. Uh, This is an email from Ross Worth from Barrie, Ontario. Greetings, Kevin, Warren, and Jim. For your weekly mailbag segment, perhaps you could discuss this topic during an upcoming episode. It's regarding to game timing. Have you ever known or seen during a significant curling event, for example, Briar Scotty's Olympics or Grand Slam, an occasion when a team has run out of time while the other team still had rocks to play and time left on their clock? If so, what was the outcome? Some teams tend to shave that time clock dangerously close, just managing to deliver the last boulder with a few seconds left on the clock. But maybe this has happened. Ross wants to know. Uh, if it has, and and what would happen uh, when it does occur. I listen to all your episodes, usually while running the treadmill at the local gym. Keep up the great work, boys. Your show is informative, interesting, and entertaining. Thank you, Ross. Uh, Kev, you run out of time. What's going to happen? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, when you're talking about uh, Ross saying some teams, well, I think he means Kevin Cooey. <laughs> Kevin, so often his last rock is thrown, I think in the uh, provincials this last weekend, the closest he got, I, I think was three seconds or, or, or something, five, sec- four seconds to, to releasing that or getting out of the hack in his last one. So he's always close to it. But anyway, um, have I seen it before? I have seen it. Um, mm-hmm. Generally though, the, the team is right. down behind. If you're winning, usually you can, you can hurry up the, 
the play because, of course, you're playing a lot of hits. But, Warren, when it comes to uh, the rule itself, I believe you've taken it out of the World Curling Federation rule book and not necessarily out of one individual country. Yeah, the World Curling Federation rule is pretty clear. If you run out of time, you lose. And uh, that's the, the end of game. Pretty drastic. There's no second chance. And I, I guess it, it pretty much has to be. Uh, I know there may be in other countries, including Canada, some variations to that have been used from time to time. But uh, certainly at the world level, that's the way it is. Pretty black and white. Does it make a big difference, Warren? If, say, there was no clock, oh, would, uh, I mean, obviously the games would be longer, but how much longer <laughs> would they be, Warren? If, if they, you could take your sweet time. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You, Kevin Cooey's game is to be five hours. <laughs> you know what, Jimmy? Jimmy, this takes me back to um, the first time the slams put the thinking time into, and, and the women's side, mm-hmm. this is at the Calgary Corral. I think that's the name of the building. The Calgary Corral. I do not know what year. Um it was a year that I, I, I think Kathy King gave up an eight-ender. But anyway, I don't want to bring that up. That, that'd be a bad wound yeah, to have to that. have Kathy listen to when she's listening to our podcast. But anyways, the first draw or two, Jimmy, almost every team ran out of time on the thinking time because it wasn't a thing yet. It was the first time it was introduced. Right. So it was really unusual, and teams were used to be able to bank up time in the old way of doing it. But the thinking time was different, and a lot of teams ran out of time, but it was a test case. But I remember that. But then within a couple of draws, of course, athletes learn to you know, be quicker. And, and that's one thing for Ross is that not many teams are going to run out of time because as a competitive player, you learn how to bank that time. And after halfway through the game, where should I be? If you're a minute short, got to speed it up. Right. If you have a little extra time, okay. But you can kind of gauge it as you go. Right. How many timeouts are allowed, Warren? Two. But I'll tell you a story about time. And uh, this is before the time of time clocks. It's back in the days of 12-end games. And my good friends, the DeBlond brothers from Manitoba, who are notorious for playing slow, Claire and Gary DeBlond. So they're playing in the Briar in 1976. Mm-hmm. They start the morning draw at 9 a.m. The afternoon draw is scheduled for 2 p.m. Their game goes into an extra end, and they had to delay the 2 o'clock draw <laughs> because oh, no. of it five hours. And I always kid them because the following year, the Briar went to 10 ends. I said, the DeBlon brothers are responsible for the Briar going from 12 ends to 10. That's funny. <laughs> what, are they napping between ends or what, what the hell? <laughs> Does everyone go for a drink at the bar? between? Holy man. Uh. <laughs> so back to your original question. That's what can happen without time clocks. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I knew, I knew it would be longer oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Cooey's the guy who's taking on the chin here all the time, right? Slow player. Anyway, he's into the briar. Uh, there we go. Warren, we had a deal. Speaking of managing my day, once again, no morning shows. <laughs> We've only done morning shows, Kevin. <laughs> Hanson strikes again. This is a great morning to do the show. Uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. It's time now for In the House. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. 
Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. One day we're going to, um, I'm going to record when we're off air. If you wanted to hear a bunch of four guys just talking about changing the volume and using the word knob, it was just, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Goldline Curling's Momentum Rush shoes are the fastest, most stable, and most comfortable shoes Goldline has ever made. Learn more at goldlinecurling.com and they bring us it's the CCA. They want to talk to Warren. You and I can just stand aside. <laughs> it's Reed Carruthers. Come on in, Reed. How are you, brother? Carruthers, yeah. brother. How's it going? I'm, I'm, I'm great. I'm great. The banters uh, cheered me up this morning because it was a gloomy Monday. Yeah, good. Yeah, good deal. A bunch of stuff to talk about uh, with you. There's been uh, many, many things going on in curling, Lot, lots of potential things that may happen, but to bring people up to speed. Now you're coaching and now you're curling at a high level. Where's your spare time now? Is there any left? What? Every, every waking minute is spent with my uh, newborn at home, eight and a half month old uh, baby Bo. So yeah, I, uh, I have a short window here before I'm off to the Scotties. I just finished up my provincials in Nipois. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got another couple days and off I go to coach uh, Carrie and the girls. Yeah. Uh, and I know Warren wants to talk to you about, uh, you, you did all that with a three man team. Yeah. The three man team. I, I have, uh, I've done it a few times over the last three, four years, actually, um, through injuries and different things that went on in the bubble, uh, as well as, uh, you know, changing a player this year and not being able to, to find the guy we need in the short time we had when, when us and Jason parted ways, we decided to go with three and I'm sure you guys want to talk about that. Yeah, for sure. As I kidded about it, but uh, it must be all full time for you now, Reed. Yeah, like I, I've kind of treated the uh, coaching gig as the uh, supplementary income. I, I was substitute teaching mm-hmm. during the pandemic. I, I took a little break from that, and now I'm I'm kind of filling that void with coaching. And uh, honestly, I I freaking love it. I I love the coaching um, as much as I do anything. It's 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 great. Fantastic, man. And uh, obviously, you're pretty good. <laughs> yeah. well that the girls are keeping me around so it's it's a good sign yeah thanks a lot reed uh it's funny I, we uh reed and i talked jimmy um again it was yesterday and uh i don't even know where to start <laughs> there's so we talked about so many things yesterday there's so much to talk about but let's start i guess uh let's start with uh, last week at the provincials and uh three-player team um samagolski uh what a workhorse like I, you know, watching that game, um, three players seems to be really working well as long as you have a person like that, because yeah. you, you 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 have to have that 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 horse that just never tires. Yeah, yeah, he um, he did an awesome job, and honestly, Connor hasn't been in the rings uh, in a long time. Uh, Connor lives in Winnipeg. Derek lives uh, west of Winnipeg, so I throw rocks with Connor every day. So, from a holding the broom and line calling perspective, it made a lot of sense for Connor to uh, be the guy in the rings. And then also, like Derek, this is my twelfth year curling with the guy. So, if anyone's seen my release, whether it's good or bad, it's this guy. So, I think we had it set up right, and yeah, we put a good run in. 
we've been talking about it so much between all the different teams, between Guju and 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 uh, and Mawad and you guys and all these teams that have done so well with three players. Um, uh, what do you think, Reed, makes the difference? Why? How? I, I, you know, it's it's more of a how. I think that we're wondering how is it, how is yeah. it possible? Like you played a lot of games this week. Um, yeah. I guess is it because you get to throw three? You have somebody like a Derek Samagowski and Connor. They get to throw three each and really get used to the ice and rocks. Or, yeah. Or, or, well, it's 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 interesting question. And honestly, I was having a good chat with my uh, good pal Mike McEwen this morning about that. And I said, like, when you got a guy like Connor throwing ninety three percent and throwing the first three stones of the end, there's your there's your start of the end. And uh, with Derek, um, there's not many guys in the game that can uh, hit as well as him. So from a setup of, of what I need uh, to go and accomplish and make eight shots an end, whether you got three or four, you guys got, you have guys making a high percentage of shots, we're going to win some games. That's right. Um, Warren and I actually had a real good chat <laughs> after your game about your call in nine. Corner guard, a little bit off center line, maybe covering edge of four or something. And they're open stone. And uh, you're one up uh, without, and you go around the corner and uh, I don't know, have you, I don't know if you've listened, if you've watched the replay, the announcers, ha- they were startled by going around there and you made it absolutely perfect. Um, I guess your thoughts on the analytics, why not hit that? Like, let, just walk us through that, Reed, because uh, it was fantastic listening to the announcers. Absolutely, you, you befounded them. It was great. Yeah, well, and it started with my first one because I was actually going to play the role, and uh, that would have been a, a vital mistake because if I played the role in my first, Dunstone hits and noses, and then for me to bury around that corner guard, I have to be biting the eight foot to even be shot. So the first one was the key is to stick right on the nose and make him have to make the wide roll to the middle so I can't use the corner. I knew from the get-go I wanted to play that draw. I had played it earlier in the game, had made it, played it again earlier in the game, had made it. I knew the weight, knew the path. So, you know, it was just a matter of, of making a shot. But as far as, like, the numbers go... Playing against a guy like Dunstone with, you know, he hasn't had won his first Manitoba title yet uh, at that point. A great team. But the pressure was really on on them to win that game and on, and on him. And I could feel that out there, you know. So for us, it's like, you know what, if I'm down one coming home with the hammer and the pressure's on the other guy that, that needs to kind of protect uh, against me getting that deuce, I like my chances of getting a two even if I gave up the deuce. But if I ever stole one or forced him one, I thought I was going to win the game. And, you know, obviously the 10th end didn't go our way, but I just looked at it as one of those gambles that was really worth the risk being that I had made the shot earlier and I liked my chances even being down one. Before I let Warren in, um, one thing I really loved watching, I I watched it a couple of times last night actually, was when you went to throw your first one, not the come around, but your first one, the hit, you really poker faced the, uh, I don't know, the drama or, or the acting of not looking at that corner guard uh, only looking at the at the rock you're going to hit. You talk about hitting and rolling in, which of course you didn't want to do. Um, saying that, well, nose hit won't kill us. Uh, you, you like you covered all those bases. For anybody watching, any young player that's watching this this uh, podcast, go to YouTube and watch the ninth and tenth ends of this final game. I think you're going to learn a ton. Reed, I'd love to walk you have you walk through the way you handled that in a more of a poker style and at least that's what i felt i watched your eyes i watched it really close last night 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. Like I was definitely trying to do it under my breath. And and honestly, it's, it's interesting because if you flip the roles and you go to Dunstone situation, like what the heck do you do? You know, aside from making the perfect roll to the button, how do you protect against that? And, you know, he didn't really have much, uh, much of a choice at that point. Well, no, it was your tight corner guard. What could they do? Well, they could come around the corner, but that was your tight corner. So even if they come around it, all you have to do is make the raise and stick it anywhere in the rings and you've done your job no matter what. I just thought it was brilliant. I just, I really enjoyed that, the ninth end. And then obviously in 10, the broomed rock was kind of the, the you know, the kick in the seeds, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was. It it hurts. But at the same point in time, like it was a great game uh, and my hat's mm-hmm. tipped to Matt. The thing about the provincials is like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a culmination of how the year's gone and that team has been great all year. Uh, so we are fired up to play each other. You know, we've been shooting text barbs back and forth all season about <laughs> having, having the battle and, you know, we're feeling it. Like I, I saw, I saw a couple tweets about how the games didn't matter and, and how it was unfortunate that the wild cards were already going. Well, I'll tell you what, like I really wanted to win that game. It, it was like I was back at 21 years old in my first final against Jeff Stone. You want to win that game. So you, uh, you can't take away that feeling from me. That's awesome. Uh, Warren, go ahead. I know you got lots to, uh, to ask, Reed. Yes, thanks for joining us, Reed. And uh, I guess congratulations on uh, a great week playing playing with three players, which uh, I want to go back to that for a moment. Um, interesting. Gushu has his success, then it in, and now you with three players. And I guess a question I have, what should happen with this going forward? Is this what we want to have happen? Do we want the best curlers in the world to be able to play with three players and virtually maybe do better than sometimes they might do with four? Um, should this be looked at as we move forward? There was a point in time when the alternate players were first brought in that you had to use an alternate player if, in fact, you, you had a player go down. And the only time you could play with three was if you had two go down. And that, of course, has evaporated. What, what's your thought on the list? Do you think that as the game going for the top level, this is something that should be happening or how should it all be looked at in the future? Well, there's there's definite advantage. There's also some disadvantages. Like the one thing I'll say is like, you know, managing the stone early in a sweep, the the one less sweeper from a communication standpoint, like you can make up for it. But what I find is the end where you kind of either have to curl the rock or, you know, hold the rock straight and the jumping back and forth, there's a definite advantage to having two sweepers out there. And so sometimes when you're playing like that delicate freeze and in the last two feet, the skip wants a curl and you're on the wrong side, that's a lot tougher with three. So there will forever still be the advantage of having four. But uh, if I throw my coaching hat on here, uh, it's interesting because like I think at some point, you know, you might see some cutthroat um, coaching and say, look, one person's not playing like halfway through the game. You know, if they're not feeling it and and the object is to win the curling game, you know, like maybe you have to come out. You know, I, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's crazy. You see, you see players get benched in, uh, in other sports. Like, it's not like I'm planning on doing that with Carrie and the girls because they're, <laughs> they're better shooters than me, but, uh, I, I don't think it's crazy. Try so. it with Carrie's team one time and see what happens. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, uh, I won't be, I won't be coaching them anymore. Well, I'm sure this yeah. isn't the last discussion that will be taking place on it. Uh, the wild card team. So you're going to Briar as a wild card, which uh, I think it's great. We're going to have the top five ranks uh, on the Canadian team ranking system all in the Briar probably for the first time in, in recent history. And I think that's the direction we need to be going. 
But there's been some discussion about when those wildcard teams should be named. Should it happen before the provincials? Should it happen after the provincials? Um, I, I think from a pro's point of view, in my, my estimation, if it happens before the provincials, it's going to give some of those younger teams like Calvert uh, in Manitoba, like Sturme in uh, Alberta, the opportunity to possibly win the province. And you're still going to have your, your top people in there as well as the younger ones are going to be able to move forward maybe quicker. What do you think? Should it happen before the provincials or after? You know, I, I would like to see it happen before. You know, I'd like to see the teams that aren't playing, you know, as competitive anymore because they feel like they don't have a chance. Uh, you know, I look at our provincial. We have 32 teams. Um, I feel like there's probably going to be some of the teams if they know that, you know, our team in Dunstone, if we are uh, declared before the provincials are not there, it's going to open up the door to uh, to a couple of teams. and. There's there's probably going to be some more teams that go and play in the actual play down process. Yeah, no, I think it's something that really needs to be looked at. I think along the same line, the, the residency rule, which this thing has been tossed around up and down, back and forth. And so, you know, you got interesting things. So we're looking at the parental rule that was brought in on the women's side, and now they're able to bring in an out-of-province player or another player as long as they haven't played in the competition already yet. You have uh, won the right to be in the briar, and you can now pick up a player, which you have, Rob Gordon, who has already played in the competition. So I think all this is getting so, uh, I don't know, diluted and uh, inconsistent. I'm of the opinion, you know, we're trying to make the best teams. If you lose a player, you should be able to pick up whoever you want from wherever you want and, and move forward. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I've, I've had four different calls with Curling Canada to this year alone, just about situations that are involving me or the teams that I coach, who I can grab, what I'm allowed to do. Like, it's, it's very confusing. Uh, I'm not sure what the perfect answer is. But um, I would say I have an idea that uh, I haven't heard you guys quite discuss yet, but I'm sure you've thought of. I would like to see, you know, even open it up more. Let's say 20 teams in the national championship. Yeah. I would say, you know, maybe four or five are declared ahead of time. You could make one team a uh, U25, the top-ranked CTRS team under 25 gets a chance that's really going to give those young teams like the uh weeb team you know the fire to go out there and compete on the tour trying to get points uh if they have a chance to be declared for the briar or the scotties right ahead of time so you want the national championship i feel to be the best teams there it also still allows the opportunity to still keep all the member associations involved yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just thinking about that yesterday. What should maybe happen? And I'm going, well, maybe 20 teams. Maybe 20 teams might be the answer. And I'm thinking, so how would they run this? But uh, I think it's something, again, that, again, all the people involved in this need to get in the same room. And it really needs to be hashed around as to how is the right approach to be used going forward, I do believe. Kevin. Well, one thing that, you know, we, we Jimmy brought up the fact that this is full time for you. Well, I thought about with, you know, you want to play your very best, obviously, at the Briar. And, and try to make your way to the Worlds. But you're going to be two weeks uh, at the Scotties. Uh, are they going to allow you on the ice at the Scotties to throw some rocks? Yeah, so that's a good, it's a great question. So last year, being that it was a bubble setting, uh, I was throwing on the Scotties surface with an extra set of stones that were not in play. 
so they would act a little bit differently. Plus I didn't have like that scouting aspect that I could help my girls with. So that definitely helped me in my briar prep leading into Lethbridge because I felt like I was still, you know, ready to go. And then this year uh, I'm hearing that uh, there's two clubs in Kamloops. I've done some investigating. We're not in a bubble setting, thank goodness. And uh, I'll be able to, on my off time, uh, go and throw at uh, the local club. Uh, and the good thing is my, uh, my new lead for the Briar is going to cheer on his uh, girlfriend, Kristen McCush, who plays on Team Laws. So I'm going to be bugging him to go and throw with uh, his <laughs> new skip. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. I, was, yeah, I was wondering about that, how you're going to possibly get some practice in, but that sounds good. Oh yeah, I'll I'll find a way. I'm pack I'm packing the pro slide. It's ready to go. I don't have to bring a, a big broom, so it fits in my suitcase. So I'll be ready to go. I see um, that we have a, a different playoff format again this year for the Briar, where we've now got uh, we got two pools of nine teams, round robin, and uh, which I would have thought the ideal situation going forward would be a page playoff. That's sort of what the page playoff is really designed for. Yet I'm seeing they're taking a third place team from each pool forward. Two is playing three, and then I think the winner plays one. I'm not, I can't even remember exactly how it goes, but uh, what's your thought on the playoff that they've now used? I think this is a, about the fourth year, fourth change. It's interesting because it goes back to my earlier point about 20 teams. I think like with having uh, 18 teams and nine in each pool, having three out of your eight advance is probably not a bad thing, but if they go up to 20 teams, like I'm hoping they do, uh, and open up the door a little bit more, you know, name, name those teams before the provincials, which hopefully has some benefits as well. I'm thinking that you could stick with the same format for playoffs. You could still have three and three from each pool. Okay. You, you're, you're comfortable with the fact that, uh, that uh, third place team playing the second place team in, in a sudden death. In the fact, when you start taking up the third team, you could have quite a, a gap between the second and third considering one and two could be t- even the same record. Yeah, I, I think so. Like you're still going to have the hammer, um, you know, in that scenario, if there is a gap between the teams. So, yep. but you know, things like this happen. Uh, and sometimes uh, the best team in the pool doesn't have a good go. And, you know, all of a sudden they're third out of, the, out of their pool. And, you know, sometimes that, that little uh, rattle of the cage, they can wake up a demon in the, in that three, two game. For sure. Uh, Reed, you talked about, um, you know, maybe expanding the uh, the amount of teams that are going to play in the Briar to, to go to 20 or 25 teams. Uh, I, I like what you said about getting a U25 team in there. Um, is all that, Reed, that thinking on your part, is that all about about growing the game? Um, Warren and I were talking last night, you know, and, and so who wins, who's going to the Briar? And you got Botcher and Cooey and you and Dunstone, you know, playing. Is it tough on these young teams when they look at it going, oh my God, the cream rises to the top here and it looks like they're there to stay for a long time. Is that a tough thing to grow the game? Yeah, like the the idea behind what I suggested is to grow the game. It definitely doesn't make my job easier playing against more elite teams in the national championship. But I think, you know, it benefits benefits our country and our in our curling and also the future of our sport um there's some good young friends of mine that uh you know are playing out of manitoba and have said for years oh it's so hard to beat uh you so hard to beat McEwen, so hard to beat jeff and they're at that teetering point of you know whether they keep playing and trying to battle against us but you know to know that they have a legitimate chance to go to the briar you know maybe that makes them continue on and trudge on 
Reed Carruthers, good luck, man. You're you're doing everything at a high level, coaching the Einerson team, and and you're on your way to the Briar yourself. You did it uh, with three guys. We talked about that at the beginning of the interview. I don't like that idea, Reed, because I just got a text from Kevin and Warren saying, "Jimmy, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> drop the show from three guys to yep. two guys." <laughs> two. Uh, what, yeah. uh, so I'll have to discuss. <laughs> and I'm guessing. I'm guessing. If there's two World Curling Hall of Famers, I know who might be out, okay? If they go. <laughs> Reed, thanks a lot, man. Congratulations on a great career, and uh, look after that baby, and uh, we'll be watching you down the road here in the next couple of weeks. Take it easy, Reed. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, thanks, Reed. See you. Thanks, Reed. Good luck. Take care. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. So there we go, boys. Uh, what do you think of what Reed had to say, Warren? Give us a quick thought. Well, Reed is a thinker uh, about the sport of curling and a progressively looking forward type of guy. So uh, he's always got some really good constructive comments, and I, I think it was a great interview. Kev? Uh, he's just a – what a guy for loving our sport. You know, to be able to compete at the highest level and compete really, really well, but then turn right around and, and coach at the very highest level. To do both at one time, you know, it, it, it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, the whole sport has to appreciate a guy like Reed. Do, do, do a bunch of curlers coach as well, Kev, or are they usually retired curlers that are coaching? Well, yeah, usually retired because there's no time. How can you right. do both? You know, J.D. Lynn, though, he's playing a little bit now, but not like Reed. Reed plays all the time. Um so not not usually, Jim. It's just there just isn't enough time. So Reed's yeah, no really, kidding. you know, he is spending a lot of time in the rink, uh, one way or the other. And you've got a second Briar player that's going to be coaching in Cantaloupes and Ryan Fry with Homan. So there's two right. of them there. Yeah. Right. I'll tell you what Carruthers is up to. Okay, he's got an 18 month old. Sorry, honey, gotta go. Gotta coach. Gotta curl. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> I, I I kid. Uh, there you go. There's the show, baby. Uh, we want to thank Rod Paulson, who's into his 51st year with his company, In-House Strategies. Way to go, Rod. Uh, he handles all the stuff on our Facebook, uh, our, our page and our book and our group. Check it out. Uh, you want to email us, do it at insidecurling at gmail.com, and you can get your email read on the show, uh, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, so there you go, boys. Thank you to Sports Interaction, Coyote, Boost, and Goldline, who make the show possible. Uh, let's have a good week, boys. Uh, Friday, Scotty's coming up. Uh, big events. Are we doing a bunch of shows, Warren, for the Scotties? Next week, Jim. Okay. All right. <laughs> Take it easy, fellas. Good, good job. Would you like me to go over my picks again, boys? Would you <laughs> like me to? Warren, can I? That'll be fine. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See you, Warren. See you, Kevin. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim. <laughs>